What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 201 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Damian Thompson from salesability.com. Damien helps founders develop the ability to scale by building high-performance sales teams for B2B software and service companies. Not only that, but Damien has a family and is location-dependent and is capable of doing this from anywhere in the world. And that's what makes this conversation so fun and so special because, as you'll hear, Damien is talking about moving his family to New Zealand where they will live on a boat. And as he talks about with the flexibility of his work, they'll just might have a little jaunt from Auckland to Singapore, take a few months off and take the whole family and just go sailing. And these are the kind of stories I love. People who have that freedom, who have built really successful location-dependent businesses where they can roam around the world, even with their families, and live a life that they want. He loves sailing. He loves the idea of being able to teach his kids or put them in a school system that he feels is going to be best for them, or even birthing his children in various countries where he thinks the medical care systems are better, more efficient, and more cost-effective. And you'll hear about all this throughout the whole conversation. It was a really fun conversation, super high energy. Damien is a wild man, self-described misfit and reject. It was a perfect fit for the show. Love chatting with him. I have no doubt you'll enjoy hearing Damien's story and a little bit more about salesability.com. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone on whatever you're listening to Misfits and Rejects on and hit subscribe. I really appreciate that. Damien really appreciates that. And if you want to share our conversation with somebody who you think might benefit from either Damien's service or just this type of conversation with people who are designing their lives to be location-dependent, working from their laptops, moving family around the world, going to super cool locations, residing for a few years and moving on, or if you're just an individual who wants to travel more and figure out a way to do that from a laptop. Again, this is a great story about how he did it and where he finds himself today. So we do appreciate a share. If you want to rate Misfits and Rejects, we always appreciate five stars. And please feel free to leave a comment as well. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Damien Thompson from salesability.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Damien Thompson from salesability.com. Damien, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Well, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks. We've been trying to uh, connect for the last few weeks, and I'm psyched to get you on and just learning kind of like where you're going in life is exciting, man, because you're thinking about moving to New Zealand with your family and live on a boat, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like you wrote the title of this uh, show for me because I'm definitely a misfit and a reject. So uh, um, yeah, so heading back to New Zealand, this will be uh, the third time going there. The third time's a charm, hopefully. So. so when you did go the first few times, what was the goal? What was the intention? Just to travel and live or, or what was it? Yeah. I mean, I'm so I'm I'm a weirdo in that I've been living this life before it was called like a life, you know. So like I'm yeah you know, I'm in my mid to late 40s, but you know I was actually born in Spain. Uh, dad's a, a Yank and mom's an Aussie. Um, she was the crazy redhead like hitchhiking through Europe. My dad was stationed in the Air Force in Spain, so I was born there. Then I moved to Australia when I was two. Lived there until I was about eight. Then moved to America. So by the time I was eight, I'd lived in three different countries. And then, you know, spent the next 10 years in, in America, then joined the Army at 18. 
mean, and for the last 30 odd years, I haven't lived in the same country for longer than two years. And so, you know, I, I'm, you know, the quintessential, you know, itchy feet, you know, have to get out of here, try new things. So the first time I was in New Zealand was in uh, 2003. Um, at the time, I was in my middle of my corporate days. I spent about 10, 15 years uh, kind of building sales teams for big Fortune 500 companies around the world. And, uh, they moved me to New Zealand to set up the New Zealand operation and fell in love with the place. Just absolutely loved it. But it was just it was a short term gig. It was a two year thing. Moved back to Australia, then head back. And then uh, in 2015, uh, we were living in Texas at the time. Austin. I was in Austin setting up an inside sales team for a Singapore so- software company, and uh, we got pregnant. And we didn't have health insurance, and uh, you know, health insurance is the bane of most Americans' lives. Um, and so, pre- pregnancy is a pre-existing condition, so we couldn't get uh, health insurance. And so, decided we were going to move somewhere to have the baby. And Mexico made a lot of sense. And my beautiful, talented wife, who I adore, I said, "Hey, why don't we go to New Zealand?" Knowing that's always where I kind of wanted to end up. Um, so we moved to New Zealand to have our son, and we had our son there in 2015 or 2016. Yeah, he was born, um, and. Uh, it was great, but you realize that you're on the other side of the planet all alone, no friends, no family, and you have a kid for the first time. You realize that you do really need that kind of village to help raise that child. So moved back to America, spent some time here, then moved to New Zealand uh, – sorry, moved to, New- uh, to Mexico for a bit. Um, but yeah, this time uh, we're going to go. Uh, my daughter has been born now. We had our daughter last year in Mexico. Uh, so we think that – we think it's the, the foursome is probably going to end it for us. And so time to, time to get to New Zealand and get on a boat and try to live on a boat for the next couple of years. That's so rad. Yeah, I just had Uva on the show, who's also in the DC, who you know was kind of like you, just looking for places to have his children that was you know cost effective. And I'm a huge advocate for this. I love medical tourism. And yeah, look, I'm the same way. I, I think that you know we were in, we had our first son in New Zealand, and it was amazing. Um, then we had my daughter in Mexico, and it was amazing. Just the the level of care. It's like the healthcare still have the care in the healthcare. Like there's not just, you know, it's a number, you're not just a, you know, an insurance number or like a, a dollar sign to them. And so we've been really blessed to kind of have our kids outside of America. Um, and I would recommend it to anyone that could, they can to do it. It's uh, you'll find that, you know, that there's still, you know, healthcare people out there that actually do take an interest in you. And, you know, like for, in Mexico, we texted our, our you know, our, our OBGYN, like she wanted us to text her, like, you know, so we text her at night and the weekends questions, you know, and so, like, it wasn't this kind of very clinical, you know, corporate, you know, kind of medical care. It was a true they want. They were part of that. You know, the whole the birth. They were part of it, and it was it was magical for different reasons in both countries. But yeah, I just I, I can't imagine if we have a third, it won't be in America. So right. Do you mind me asking a little bit, a few more questions about what did you think the differences were from the experience you had in Mexico versus New Zealand? Were there pros sure. and cons to both? Yeah. So. Yeah, so New Zealand was awesome in the fact that well, so I'm Australian, so I'm half Australian. So my mom's Australian, dad's American. So Australia and New Zealand have a very open border. So as an Australian citizen, the day I land in New Zealand, I'm considered a resident, right? So I get the full benefits all the rest of it. And so do my kids. Um, so when we got there, like it was all covered. Like no, we didn't pay a penny for any of it, right? And so um, that was all covered and. Not just was it covered, but like you know they do they do that kind of more traditional like you have a midwife you know you don't need a full doctor to have a baby like it was the midwife in the hospital so if something does does go wrong you're there there's the machines there are doctors available but it was just there was just a level of care that was really good one of the things that you know I get in trouble for this but um, we live in Austin when we, the first you know four or five months of the pregnancy and then you know moved to New Zealand for the, the second half of the pregnancy my wife had gained a little bit of weight in America um, and we get to New Zealand and our midwife was lovely Wendy she's like you've you've gained too much weight you need to lose some weight like you know and so there's kind of like, like there's a much more matter of fact, just honest kind of hey, 
you know, real. And then when we had the baby, what one of the things that were really awesome in, in New Zealand is the post-birth care. So when my wife had the baby, she then goes something called aftercare for two days. And so basically, like this hotel that's just full of nurses and RNs that basically show her how to swaddle, show her how to change a diaper, show her how to breastfeed. She's like, so it's like medical care for two days, like right after birth, to kind of show her to kind of ease her into being a mother, which was awesome. And then when we bring the baby home, they did five weeks of they actually came once a week to visit the house. Right. And so they'd come and visit the house and do like, you know, like make, make sure that, you know, we understood and show us like, you know, hey, some places we might want to think about like some, you know, child proofing, that sort of thing. And so just just like the the care from the kind of the beginning to end was just really amazing. Um, in Mexico, um, you know, I think it's like everything else. I mean, we had a really good OBGYN. We really enjoyed. She was really loving, really outgoing, really, really friendly. But like just the the the, the thing I found this a lot in like like my spiritual home, Southeast Asia. I love Southeast Asia, but the same idea that because the service, you know, that people can live on a lot less money there. Like they're just, when you have any kind of service, there's like, there's more attention. So like there was like three or four people in the birthing room. Right. And so like there was just a lot of attention, a lot of help. Um, and so just, it was just very nice. And so, I think that you know the 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 Mexico the New Zealand was I would say a little bit easier just from the language barrier point of view like my you know my Spanish es no bueno um, and so you know and so uh, that was a little easier um, uh, and so like the western part of it but uh, you know it was kind of written off because it also was our first child so there's a little like higher anxiety you know, all those things I say about the second kid is true like you know, you take less pictures you know all those kind of things because like you've already had the first one and so we were much more. We knew the babies were much more resilient the second time, and so we, we didn't mind as much. But yeah, it was uh, both. Of them, I I would recommend either place. Like you know, I, I really enjoyed both, and so um, it was it was it was awesome. You know, it was it was just kind of a for me personally. You know, I make the joke that you know I was Peter Pan, but you know, I mean, I went through the majority of my life being very very single and very very you know good time Sal, right? I mean, I was all about working hard and playing hard and living around the world and do that kind of stuff. And then even when I got married, um, you know, love my wife to death, but she was kind of a good time Sally. So like we still had a lot of fun and did a lot of stuff. But the kids come and like you learn how to grow up really quick, you know, and so kind of like how like how you see the world changes a little bit. But what I'm really happy about is it hasn't changed my appetite for being a misfit, right? For kind of saying, hey, like just the script that everyone else follows doesn't need to be a script you follow, right? You need to determine what makes you happy, determine what, you know, what is what is your purpose in life and what you want to teach your kids. And for me, a lot of that is, you know, that kind of, you know, following where, you know, where, where your passion lies and following, you know, you don't have to live where you were born and you can try out new places. And you know what? If you get there and you don't like it, you can pick up and move. Like there's like one of the things I see a lot, especially like my like childhood friends is this like inertia that kicks in where like they think oh well hey I went to high school here and my friends are here and my family's here and so I could never leave well that's just silly like they'll still be there right mm-hmm. so go try something out if it doesn't work out you can always come back like there's no there's no there's this kind of weird I mean we think like it's permanent record kind of nonsense like there's some judgment happening right like some no one cares like no one cares about your life as much as you think they do right and so if you go to Europe for a year because you think you're gonna live in Italy and it just doesn't work out the way you want to don't want to come back and say oh you're a failure put a big you know scarlet f on your sweater right i mean like that doesn't happen right so go and try it and be adventurous and and that's what i want to teach my kids more than anything else is just you know just be adventurous yeah dude speaking of teaching your kids is that you're planning you know homeschool um on the boat or are they going to go yeah i mean so yeah, the, I mean, that was the original plan and then you realize how hard homeschooling is <laughs> and so um we it depends a little bit. So we actually fell in love with um, Montessori, the Montessori method, um, with my son, um, especially as we got pregnant with my with my daughter. 
um, you know, my wife, you know, needs some help and I work, you know, I, I, I do work pretty hard. And so, um, we found a Montessori kind of daycare, it's kind of pre-kindergarten for my son and really fell in love with the philosophies around it. And there's a lot of value, I think, in like real true educators. I think, again, this is something that we in America, we don't see as often. Like I'm a, I'm a student of, I, mean, I, I grew up in public, public education and, uh, like there's almost like this, you know, I, I'm getting in trouble here if I say this, but I'll say it anyway, which is, you know, there's the, the, the disparity between like people who get into education as a career is very vast, right? Like you get the people that seem like they're there just because it's the easier choice with their art history degree, right? Versus the ones that actually want to make an impact and actually change. And I, like, I've been lucky enough to have both or you know, lucky enough to have the good ones at least. Um, but I feel like, you know, when you get into that kind of the private education and the Montessori stuff, that there's a lot more people that take this seriously, that actually take it more like they do feel like they're impacting children's lives and all that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, there's a cost associated with that, which is hard. Um, but, you know, so we're leaning towards, you know, making enough money so we can afford to do the really, you know, the higher touch kind of education, small classes, you know, very personalized education systems, the Montessori method for the most part. Um, so which is not very, it's not very dictated, right? It's more kind of, uh, I love the idea of like this kind of unschooling you know this idea of more like you know figuring out what they're good at and kind of letting them be passionate about that because i'm a big i mean i'm a believer in that i'm a believer in you know sure you need some overall you know uh, kind of you know understanding of language and arts and everything but happiness in life is figuring out what you're good at and liking to do and doing more of that and becoming even better at it and you'll like it even more right and then you figure out a way to kind of make a living doing that thing and i think that's one of the things that gets missed in this whole kind of follow your passion idea like it's real cool now to say oh the follow your passion is nonsense and don't do it i disagree i think the idea though is to make sure your passion is something that actually is monetizable right and so but that's very easy like there's very few things now you can't make money doing right i mean if you're really truly good at it and so but that's the thing like the the, the table stakes you can go get a job in middle you know in in, in corporate america being middling Right. You know, you can be, a, you know, but like you can't go out on your own and be middling and make a good living. Right. You have to be ex- exceptional. So but if you're something you're good at, then you can be exceptional at it. And it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. If you're good at something and you get recognition for being good at it, it makes you like it more. It makes you want to do more of it. it makes you get better at it, put more time into it. And so it becomes this thing where you now spend your 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, 30,000 hours doing this thing. And it is how you can kind of separate yourself. And so I think there's a lot of value in figuring out like what makes you tick, you know. And, and different people are different, right? And trying to, you know, force square pegs in around holes is, you know, a recipe for disaster. I think. I agree, hundred percent. I mean, just that adage that you probably heard going through the public school system is, you know, like really develop the things that you're not good at. You know, it's like fuck you guys. That's wrong. Like that's just completely wrong. Like you should, like you said. Look at everyone who's successful. They're awesome at certain things, and they're horrible at everything. You know, every every kind of business, you know, superstar we look at, Elon Musk, you know, Gates, you know, Jobs, whoever, they are really weird people, right? Like they don't have people skills that are awesome. They probably they don't know English history to save their life, you know, all those kind of things. But they found what they were really good at and became exceptional at it. Right. And like that exceptionality is what matters. It's, you know, it's, you know, Yo-Yo Ma. It's, you know, the performing arts, like people that are really, really good at the violin. You know, they probably aren't very good at math. Right. Because they're not spending hours. And so why like the whole idea of shoring up your weaknesses is silly, like become exceptional at the thing you're good at. And again, because I do think it becomes this like snowball, like the better you get, the more recognition you get, the harder you work, the better you get and the better you get and the better you get. Right. And the better you get at something, the more, you know, the bigger way you can make a living doing that. And again, like I think this is what's so exciting 
exciting for my kids is, you know, I've seen the death of the middleman, right? I've seen the death of the gatekeeper, right? I've seen that you can be an artist now and make a living, right? You couldn't be an artist and make a living 30 years ago. Like you had to have the A&R guy at, you know, at, at Columbia Records had to say yes to you. Right. Like, you know, you had someone had to say yes to get you on the Johnny Carson show if you wanted to be a stand up comedian. Right. Now you can be a stand up comedian because you started on Twitter and then on Instagram and you then had a blog and then had a podcast and people figure out and they start spreading the word because you're a funny person and you can make a living that way. So, like, there is no, you know, the gatekeepers are dead. And so, I think that's awesome for my kids. Right. The, The idea that, you know, that you can do whatever you want. But you better be good at it because there's a lot of other people doing the same thing. 100%. Now, speaking of like things that you're exceptional at, you know, you are a salesperson who talks about being, you know, the best at your craft and going from the military into sales. Like, what's that transition? Like, were you always gifted at sales? Like, how, how'd you become an expert in sales with sales? That's a good question. I mean, I think gifted is an interesting word. I mean, uh- I like to talk. <laughs> I think okay. that helps a little bit. So, I mean, I think I have a, a natural gift to perform to, to an extent. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, for me, I think why I'm good at selling is because I'm a student of it. Like, I take it seriously. Like, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, sales is not a numbers game. It's a professional game. So be a fucking pro, right? And so what I find a lot is that people aren't pros at what they do, right? They don't take it seriously enough. They don't work at it. And so find something you're interested enough in that you want to be a pro. And so I've been selling for 30 plus years. I still read everything I can. I still, you know, I'm still constantly trying to up, up my skills. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still, I'm still willing to realize I'm wrong about something. I'm still really to say, hey, this, this thing of this, you know, idea of help, you know, that for 20 years is not correct, or it needs to be shaped a little bit, or the world has changed a little bit, or these things have changed. So I think that that the problem solving nature of it just fits me well. And so I think that what I like, I don't believe there's such a thing as like a natural born salesperson. I do think there's some like some traits that matter. So for me, I love problem solving. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a puzzles guy and I'm a performer. So if I want puzzles and performing, sales is a kind of a natural thing for that. And what's kind of gone to now is helping people see that. And so really what I do now is, is I help people that don't see them as salespeople, right? Technology people, like software engineers, uh, pr- you know, pr- product managers, people that don't consider themselves salesy and showing them that sales is a process and that if, what made you really good about this other thing can make you really good in selling as well, especially when you're selling your own thing, right? When you're selling your own idea, your own product, your own service. So you believe that you can step into any situation and help them sell, like up their game? Doesn't I mean, you have to, if they're willing to learn, I mean, if they're willing to do the work, right? And so, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things you know, that I will say is that sales is a process like any other business function. Um, and so that process changes and that process is a little different for each company and there's not one prescriptive idea for that process. But the idea is, is that it is anything like anything else, like any other operational function in your business, it is something that you can, you know, create a process around and, and repeat over and over again. Um, if you are, and that's why I deal directly with founders, because the other thing I find is that if you... You know, if you have the balls to start your own thing, right, you can have the ability to sell, right? Like, like so that, that's the thing. Like, like the, 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 the chutzpah it takes to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to build, I'm going to build a better widget. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to go off and, and, and take this service or this, this, this trait I've learned or this skill or tech, technical talent I have and go out and sell this to other people on my own. Like, I'm going to get people to buy this. Like, that, that level of, you know, if you have that, if you can conquer that problem, you can absolutely conquer the sales problem. Um, and so, because they're very similar. And so the, in the early days, you're selling yourself anyway, right? You're selling that vision. You're selling that idea of, Hey, I used to work at company X, but I went off to do my own thing because here's what they got wrong. Right. And here's what I realized. Here's what I noticed. Here's what I, and this is why I work with companies like you. And again, it becomes a problem. What it really comes down to is a clear understanding of who do you serve and how do you serve them? 
right? And I use serve purposely, right? I mean, like that has to be this kind of, you have to think of, am I making them better or not, right? This is not, we're not selling aluminum siding door to door. Like this is the days of being able to trick somebody into something and, you know, get away with it. Like they've been gone for 20 years, right? Like the internet is a very small place when it comes down to it. Right. And so, you know, it's not about tricks or techniques. It's about having a clear understanding of who you serve and how you serve them and then figuring out what process and how to actually put what steps work and in what order to make them work to actually help serve more people. Nice dude. So then sales ability, what's, are you the only person in your company and you're just, yeah, so I have a couple founders? of, yeah, so I have some support people. You know, a couple people help me on the design side. Some people help me on some of the delivery stuff. But yeah, I work one on one with founders for the most part. So um, or group to one. But yeah, so it's really because you know what I've learned is I've tried a bunch of different models. Um, I don't sell training courses on their own. It's all about saying, hey, here's some material you need to learn. But you know, it's not about the content. It's about the context. Right, and that context only happens when I can actually understand your your situation a little better. So, you know, I work with founders, B two B founders, uh, primarily in software and service companies. And so, again, these are people that have generally they've you know they've got a special technical or creative skill that used to get them paid as an employee. They've gone off and done their own thing as you know, started their own firm or started their own kind of company, started their own startup. And they've kind of through brute force figured out to how to get a couple of paying customers. And then I say, great, how do we actually get from a couple of paying customers to actually scaling, right? So actually you can, you know, build up enough revenue where you can actually hire other people to do the selling for you. Because, you know, none of these people want to be salespeople, right? None of them, none of them look at saying, hey, I want to be a career sales professional like I do, right? And so that's fine. That's not a problem. But they still have to get those skills and lay those plans. And I think that founder-driven sales is the important first step, right? To understand how it works and what works, but then understanding how do you translate that to hiring other people to do the work? Because even though you don't think you're a professional salesperson, you're going to be the best salesperson in your business because you're selling yourself, right? And so how do you move past selling yourself to actually selling the problem you solve or the, you know, the goal that you help people achieve? So then how long do you normally sit with these people and like hold their hand through the process? It depends on where they are in the process. Um, you know, I kind of the, – the kind of two big personas I'm working with right now are, you know, generally someone's around the kind of 10K, 20K a month kind of range um, and they're kind of stagnating there and having a hard time getting past that. So I kind of help them essentially become better at the sales process and also being more process-driven in the process, automating some of it, figuring that out so they can get to that kind of 50, 60 grand a month where they can start thinking about actually hiring out for it. Uh, and then the other one is actually help them and hire them out. So, you know, when they're past that half million to a million dollar range and they want to get to that 10-figure range. Um, and then, great, how do you actually build a sales team? How do you hire for sales? How do you manage sales? Because one of the big misperceptions here is, hey, I want to get sales off my plate, right? Now I'm making half a million dollars a year. I can hire salespeople. I'm going to go hire some sales pro who's going to build this thing for me. That's just not the way it works, right? And so the other thing is all that time you save, quote unquote, in selling, you now spend in sales management, Right? And if you hated selling, you're going to hate sales management even more because now what happens is you've got all those unknowns of sales, but also now it's kind of your one step released from the problem, right? So now you've got to learn how to motivate people and how to keep them focused and how to give them the support they need, how to become a good leader and how to kind of, you know, um, you know, through kind of a, you know, a Socratic process of, you know, how to push back and question them and help them kind of be a little more uh, resilient in, in the sales process. Because the thing about sales is it's a great high when you close and it's a horrible low when you, when you don't. Right. And so like, there's that, how do you manage those highs and those lows? And then how do you manage your team's highs and lows? And so there's a lot of kind of that sales leadership that is never taught to anybody at our scale. And because really that's kind of the, the, the niche I serve is, 
almost all sales advice out there is bad for the people I work with because either it's focused at the kind of consumer stuff, you know, be you know, kind of car sales or insurance sales or B2C kind of stuff, or it's enterprise sales, big companies selling to big companies, right? But these kind of the smaller, more nimbler companies in the, in the, in the lower middle area, like there's not a whole lot of you know, focus on them. And so what they're hearing is they're hearing all the noise of the internet of, you know, SDRs and BDRs and all these kind of acronyms and throw money at the problem, which is not realistic when you're, you know, bootstrapped or you're, you're a profit first company, right? And so, you know, we're not going to solve a problem by raising $10 million and throwing money at the problem. And so it's really how do you kind of, you know, get better at something to the point you can now afford to hire people, but still understand that it's still very tenuous, right? You can't afford to make a $100,000 mistake. You can't hire two wrong salespeople and let it go for 12 months. Like that will cripple your business. And so how do you actually, you know, kind of take those steps and, and really kind of keep the, the reins on the company? And that's where I act as a kind of a, a support mechanism. And then how many people do you work with at one time? Yeah, so it depends. So I have, so I've kind of worked anywhere from at the um, you know, the engagement level. The lower engagement level is more of a, a kind of a group, you know, work through a kind of a community uh, as well as kind of some live calls every week. But it's kind of a, you know, three or four to one. In that, I have anywhere from kind of ten to twelve customer, you know, clients I'm working with. Then I have a more direct kind of where we're going to meet at least once a week, right? For there, kind of six to eight people there. And then at the very high end, I have a, a fractional exec service where I actually act as your VP of sales for a day a week. Uh, where I actually come in and build the systems and help you do the rec- recruiting and actually write the job ads, all of that. And for that, I only do one or two of those at a time. Because again, like I, what I've learned is I don't need to build this to be – this doesn't need to be a $10 million year business, right? This just needs to be – I want to help people, right? And so that's generally anywhere from six to 12 months is kind of the engagement length for the most part. Um, and so how can I get in, give you the biggest bang for a buck, and then turn you into an alumni, right? How to you know, turn you into a raving fan so you recommend two or three of your friends and kind of keep that busy. And that affords me the life. So I, you know, I, I want to work four days a week. You know, I want to be on the water three days a week, right? I want to be able to take a month off and go sail from Auckland to Singapore, right? Those kind of things. So uh, I'm at that stage of my career that I'm building a lifestyle business, and I'm proud to build a lifestyle business. Do you have um, ambitions to retire like at a young age, or you kind of enjoy no. the, enjoy the process love, and work? Yeah, I love it. I, I, I would I'd go crazy without it. I think. Um, yeah, I, I I need that kind of it, you know one of the reasons I love the fractional exec is is like actually I, I I still I'm still in the game, so I'm literally recruiting people. I'm hiring. I'm going through the hiring process. I'm onboarding them. I'm training them how to sell. I'm going through their CRM with them every week. Like I mean, there's it's a really hands on part time hands on, but it's really hands on, and so it gives me that you know I love building and leading sales teams. That's the thing that I'm passionate about. I just absolutely adore it. Um, and it's, you know, and I finally found a model that works so that I don't have to go sell my soul to a big corporate co- client again, you know, be a full-time employee again and, you know, give my, my best years and all my best effort to someone else that doesn't appreciate it. So now I'm helping entrepreneurs do it, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's, uh, and it took me a long time to get here, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about that part of the business. And I mean, will I slow down at some point? I'm sure I will. Um, but right now I'm really enjoying the, the kind of the hands-on stuff. That's cool, man. How do people find you? So salesability.com is the website. Um, fill out a form there if you want. I'm open to email. Just go ahead and email me. Damien is D-A-M-I-A-N at salesability.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Damien Thompson. But I mean, um, in so general, yeah. like how, how are people like, is it word of mouth or like, are you an expert yeah. in marketing as well? <laughs> Well, I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of word of mouth. I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm pretty famous in tiny little corners of the internet. You know? So, you know, the DC one, microconf, a couple of these little kind of communities that I've kind of spent a lot of time in helping other people in. Um, historically, it was also I was very good at podcasting, which I have not done for a couple of years, but I'm keep threatening to launch again. Um, but you know, which is supposedly going to happen here in the next month or so. Um, and so, you know, again, because I'm not looking for, I don't need, you know, hundreds of clients. I only need, you know, 12, 15 clients at a time. Um, I've 
part of my selling system, I create a selling system specifically for kind of B2B service and software companies. But a big part of that is actually how to be really good at developing referrals. And so I, I, I have a pretty pretty strong referral generation system uh, that kind of helps me do that and that I teach other people as well. Mm. One thing about your past that's intriguing to me since you sound just like a wild man, my friend. I love your energy <laughs> and like your ambition to be out there mixing up at all times. You want to sail with your family from Auckland to Singapore. Like that's fucking rad. But like, why military, dude? It sounds like you just put yourself in a situation that you would have hated. That's a great question, and it's very insightful. It makes zero sense. Um, so, uh, so it's funny. I mean, I I, I am. I, you've nailed it. I'm a wild man. Um, I don't do well with authority. I've always been a bit of a misfit. I've never really fit into the kind of society's norms. So, going to the military makes zero sense at the time. It makes zero sense in retrospect. Um, I think you know one of the thing was is I had a. Uh, to be frank, I had a, a messed up idea of like national identity, and so I left. I graduated high school, I went to college, and that was when Desert Shield was was happening. Um, and my dad had served in the military, and I had this kind of idea that it was my job as a patriot to go serve for my country. And people don't realize this now, but you know, looking back, if they were around, if they were probably too young for the most part, but um, you know, this was not going to be this quick little thing that it, it turned out to be. Like the the, the Republican Guard was going to be this really nasty thing. It was going to be this really bad war, is the way it was being set, sold as. And I just had this kind of mis, un, you know, frankly misaligned idea of what my responsibility was to to my country, and uh, left school and joined the army and was uh, was I mean great because it taught me some things that I needed like it taught me some order that I needed it taught me how to be kind of clean and kind of how to be organized and things that I was bad at but also hated almost every minute of it because it just it was I'm, I was I was a you know it was hand grenades and pineapples right I mean like it was like a <laughs> It wasn't even square peg round hole. It was square peg Volkswagen, right? I mean, it was it was like it was just it was just not a good fit whatsoever. So I spent most of my time in trouble um, because I just did not deal well with it. But yeah, so being, again, I look back and it was it was you know it was a mistake, you know, to, frankly, to do it. But uh, I did gain a lot of skills out of it that I look back and I'm one of those people that. I don't regret the mistakes I made, and I made a lot of them. You know, when you're this kind of out on the edge as I am, you make a lot of mistakes um, because it does make you who I am. Like, you know, without the military, there would be parts of me that would be different. You know, and I and I like who I am. You know, I mean, sure, I could be better about certain things, but um, so I don't regret anything. That kind of drives my parents crazy a little bit. That I don't regret some of the big choices I made in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't regret it. But yeah, it was definitely it was a very odd decision, and I think that anyone who knew me at all knew that, and you're pretty insightful to realize that as well. Because yeah. It was uh, definitely not a good culture fit. I'm assuming you chose the U.S. military because your father served in the U.S. Because you also had the Australian military. Yeah, so I, as well. yeah, I was in the U.S. as well at the time. So you know, I was pretty. This is I was 18 years old and pretty gung ho at you know at the time. And uh, you know, then there's a lot. I mean, like there's a reason why you know soldiers. And this is we're gonna get, I don't want to get too deep on this, but you know, there's a reason why they prey on young people because young people are confused, right? People make confusing decisions and they have a lot of, you know, they don't have the right questions. And I don't denigrate people that make a career out of the military and, and good on them. That was a good fit. And I've got friends who made a career out of it and good for them. But, you know, for the most part, you know, it, it's it's not, you know, it wasn't it was not a, the 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 same decision. It was not like something you'd say oh, hey, that makes sense. Like that, that makes sense as a step in his career. Like that doesn't, it definitely wasn't that it was definitely a, a detour. Um, but it was a detour that again, that I, 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 you know, respect for a lot of things I learned from it. And, you know, I have some amazing memories. And one of the things that helped me do as well is, you know, it helped me reignite my passion for travel. You know, I was in Korea and I loved it. Um, 
I never spent any time in Asia really. And so that really, you know, kind of sparked my passion for Asia. And then, so when I, you know, burned the suit and tie in, you know, 2000, uh, 2010 and decided to get back out on the road, I moved to the Philippines and lived in the Philippines and Thailand and Singapore. And like, I love Asia. And so like, there's like, like I never would have realized that probably if I didn't do that. So like, there's all these little things that happen that kind of, you know, while the, the grander scheme doesn't make a lot of sense, the, the smaller stuff actually has huge impacts on your life. What do you think it is about Asia that you love so much? Because I have the same affinity for it, and I, I actually don't want to generalize as broad as saying just Asia, because there's parts of Asia I've been to I dislike. But um, I have the same sort of affection for Southeast Asia, and then I mean I, oh, I see, enjoy yeah, China. I yeah, I say Southeast Asia. So I love North. I mean, I love Korea. I love Japan. I love. I, mean, I love North Asia too. What I love about Southeast Asia, it's the wild, wild east. Um, I love the fact that you know. For example, I moved there um, in 2010, um, and then in 2011, I met up with Joe and Justin from the Empire Flippers, which are kind of you know they you know, got a pretty big business now. But at the time, like we hosted a boxing event. I was an MC for a boxing event. Like you know, like there's these things. These you can have these experiences that you can't have in other places because you know you have to be willing to do these things. But like because again, because you know the the the, the cost of living is so much lower. It's not about like taking advantage of that. It's about saying taking full. You know, it's about taking full advantage of it, not taking advantage of people, but of the cost of living, right? So like we you know had the national you know, Filipino team got the you know did the five warm up matches, and so like they're just they want a ring so we actually had a full ring we paid for we had an arena we rented we had you know i did the got dressed up and did the mc we had you know like the whole thing like the whole thing cost like a thousand dollars or something crazy like that right and so like you know something you could just never do in america like it would cost you know, the insurance company wouldn't let you do it to begin with right and then you know even if they would be a hundred thousand dollars and so like like there's just so much adventure you can live still and there's just this um you know, you talk about like you know in the Philippines, which I love the Philippines. You know, it's not the prettiest place in the world, but the people are just some of the friendliest in the world. But like once you get off the beaten path, it gets really pretty because it gets harder to get there. So you get on a boat and you take these boat tours and you got these little islands that no one really spends time on and just beautiful white sands. But you're literally you're spear fishing off the side of the boat and you're having a few drinks and you're barbecuing and you know the whole thing and the whole day costs two hundred dollars, right? And so like just like you can live a really full life and really enjoy a lot of things and be very magnetic and be very you know you know uh you know charitable and very you know kind of giving of your time and, and energy and money and everyone's happy and everyone gets out better for it right and so it, it's just there's just there's that there's just still this kind of spirit of there's just a freedom that comes with that right there isn't everything's not roped off and there's not you know consent forms for everything and there's still there's still an air of danger to it and when you live on the edge you like that little air of danger i think so you know, i think that's a big reason why i like southeast asia you know specifically yeah. Were you at the first DC event ever? Hosted? Yeah, I was. Well, so yeah, so I was in, so I was actually staying in the Philippines when the first meetup pre DC, when Dan and Ian came over and you know, it was about 20 of us or whatever. And, and this little place, I was actually working in that little resort Port Galera, in Port Galera. So I'd kind of decided I was going to leave. I was living in Philly at the time. This is 2010 and decided I was going to move to Singapore is actually where I was going to move because I was going to get a corporate job again because I just wanted to get out of America. But um but then you know, I was listening to the Lifestyle Business podcast at the time, which is what the precursor to the Tropical MBA. Um, and you know, these kind of crazy guys were talking about going to do this thing, and they had some friend who had this little resort in the Philippines. And you know, if you want to come do this thing, that they'd give you free room and board for four months while you kind of built, basically built a WordPress website, essentially, right? And kind of kind of helped them out. And so I, I applied to that and got it, and so moved to the Philippines doing that. So I moved to this little tiny resort, and then everyone met there, which was great. And then I ended up staying in the Philippines for a while and figuring out the whole 
Odesk, you know, pre, you know, Upwork stuff and kind of figuring out how to make money online, which is the whole goal. My goal was to, hey, I spent 15 years in corporate world, right? Now, how do I actually learn how to make money online and what actually people are willing to pay for? And, you know, so tried, tried a bunch of different models and copywriting and this and that and all the rest of it. But, you know, just kind of doing that with a, a place where you can have some runway. Yeah, what a magical moment in time you got to experience, which I think – uh, you'll agree with me that you might not ever get another one like it with that whole just kind of coming together at that one moment in time that blossomed into what now we all know as the dynamite circle. I think that so few people in the world will ever get to experience that kind of moment. Like I have something similar in Nicaragua where we all found ourselves on a beach in a small fishing village that just was like at the forefront of a movement that was about to start, you know? Yeah, you know, it's and it's true. I mean, there's definitely like some of the zeitgeist moments, right? The twenties in Paris and all that kind of stuff. And I think you're right. I think that it was the marrying of, you know, we joke about like, you know, the Skype in, like the, all the technology was catching up to the fact you could actually do this stuff, right? You could actually, you know, still stay connected online in in a meaningful way to actually make a living and live other places. And and people were taking this kind of seriously. And it was it was early days. And I think you're right that I was lucky enough to be there for that. But part of that luck is driven because I was willing to go out and do it. Right. I mean, it's like you're never going to get lucky if you never go on the field. Right. You're never going to get lucky if you don't put a bet at the table. Right. And so I think that that's the biggest thing for people is like, don't don't worry about what you missed. Right. Worry about what you're going to miss because you're not taking a chance. Right. And so like, you know, so, yeah, maybe that, you know, it was a, a very and it was a very special time. And you know, I talk about even after that, you know, after that, I moved down to Davao, which is kind of the third biggest city in the Philippines. But it's not really that big. And I moved down there to meet with Joe and Justin, who are doing the ads at the time now, Empire Flippers. But like it was a great crowd down there. It was them. It was myself. It was uh, Daniel Christian. It was about there were about six or seven of us. We all live in the same kind of housing community. And it was very, very fraternal. Like we go in each other's houses, like we spend our lives together, you know, and so like, you know, we got Friday night for dr- drinks and dinner and we talk about business and like you know we just talk about life and it was just like there was this this fraternity that we just i mean they're all still my lifelong friends but we don't do that today right now we've got kids and we've got lives and we've got businesses that we got to run and we got employees and all the rest of it but like there was there was definitely some magic to that i still see that happening over and over again so i still see this idea of like you going out and finding your little mini tribe inside the tribe um and you know i see this happening in right now in colombia quite often right mexico city there was quite a bit of this like people who are kind of finding other people that are kind of at the same stage they are, right? And like the DC is a great place to kind of find these people, right? But they find people at the same stage and say, we're going to build our own little fraternal thing inside this. And I say fraternal, it could be maternal as well, but you know, not, it's not sexual, it doesn't matter. But like, you know, the idea of people that are the kind of same like business stage you are, life stage, and goals you have. And I see this happening all the time. And I see it over and over again. And I held a kind of a little mini event in Miami here about four months ago, I guess, right before the whole COVID thing really broke. Um, and it was really cool there seeing like probably like two or three different little mini groups inside this group of 12 people of like kind of based on the stage their businesses were at and kind of where they were with this whole journey, this whole kind of, you know, building their own thing journey, like defining their own lives. And, and so, you know, it's, it, there's still a lot of magic to be grabbed, you know, to get out there and do it. So I definitely wouldn't want, so I do agree. That it was a magical time. I just wouldn't want people to think, Oh, I've missed it. Right. So let me go back to this job. I hate. Right? You know, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I like, I like the way you, you perceive that. Cause you know, I, have a bit of sadness of the moments that is are gone you know the the moments that i love so much i knew how magical they were and i i think fondly about them and sometimes catch myself wishing i could go back and you know it sounds like you had a similar moment but it sounds like you perceive it differently where you're you're always looking for the magic within the the bigger thing that's come of that little moment that was sparked in the philippines you know 10 years ago 
you know, and, and it, it, I, it is, and I think, you know, part of it is, I think some just chemistry, but also part of it's oh, my focus. And like, I go back to the regrets, man. I just, regrets will eat you alive. Right. I mean, just like, just, just like, you know, and, and like worrying about what you missed, worrying about what you didn't have, like worrying about what somebody else has. Like it's, it sounds, you know, all, you know, kind of granola. And, <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's, it, it's what will eat you alive. Like nobody cares as much about you as you think they do. No one's paying as much attention to you as are. So don't worry about other people's opinion. Don't worry about those kind of things, but also don't worry about your own opinion. Like just go out there and do it. Like you missed it. Cool. You missed it. What can you make? Right. And so I have that. I mean, I was part of a couple of different like guys. So I, I was part of the dot-com boom, right? I was in technology in the late nineties and you know, it was magical. Like it was amazing watching this internet thing become something. Right. And so, um, but I mean, also I'd been on bulletin boards in the late eighties. Like I'd been a computer geek for years right before that happened. And so like, you know, I was kind of positioned for that. And so, but I don't miss it. You know I mean? I miss it. I mean, there's, I think missing is okay. Like, you know, I definitely, I, I have some amazing memories and some amazing friends, but those friends I still have today, and now we meet up now and it's different. We go to Bangkok every other year or whatever. And, you know, we kind of meet up there for the big DC event and, you know, but there's like, you have this shorthand because you did spend this really time together, but I still think there's that opportunity now um, to do that. And, 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 you know, maybe it's not as grand a scale. Maybe you weren't at the beginning, um, but you know, you can be at your own beginning. And I think that's the important thing because, the other thing is, you know, it's life, man. None of us get out alive, right? Like there is a ticking clock. We all have a ticking clock, whether you want to admit it or not. And so, you know, worrying about yesterday is not going to help you have a great tomorrow. And so I think it's really about kind of being focused on that. And I, I hear myself, I sound like goddamn Mary Poppins. But um, <laughs> but uh, but I do think it's important, right? I think that, uh, you know, that it's what you focus on is what is what you feel, right? And so, like, you know, so you can say, you know what? There was an awesome time. I, I, how do I recreate that? Or how do I do something new? Or how do I get something more like that? I think that's a healthy way to, to pursue it. So true. So true. Do you want me asking what your wife does? Does she get to be a full-time mom or does she? She's a full-time mom. Okay. Yeah, she's a full-time mom and she's my kind of creative director. So she's super talented at the creative stuff. So she'll help when I'm like putting together new courses that she'll help with some of the, the imagery and putting all that together. She'll help there quite a bit. Um, she's my kind of my – she's my design eye. So when I'm doing things, she'll you know give me the yes or no on some stuff. So she, she's involved in the business a little bit. She was very involved before with kids um, and she'll probably get more involved you know as the kids get a little older. But uh, she wanted to be a full-time mom. I always wanted that as well. I think it's – you know I, 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 I like the fact that one of us can dedicate – you know. A, majority of our lives to them um and so that's what, what we're doing and then obviously i did i you know i've also built a bit job that i get to spend a lot of time with my kids you know like my, my son it's i'm, I'm super excited because he's just started getting into video games so we have breakfast in the morning and i get to play video games with him for about 30 minutes every morning and i just love it it's my favorite time of my day um and so you know and so he's you know why do we do this daddy and like what's this well let's try this and so just watching him like his manual dexterity get better and watching him kind of his problem solving happen and so and also you can play video games which i'm a yeah, I'm a child of the '80s, so video games are important to me. So you know, it's a it's a lot of fun. So that's so cool, man. So as far as timelines go, when's New Zealand you think going to happen tentatively? If it does this year, um, no, it's happening. I mean, okay. it's definitely it's happening. Um, so. I, mean, I would have said July, you know, six months ago, but you know, the idea was we came here. I'm in my childhood home right now, house sitting for my parents because they're actually in Australia visiting my mom's family. She's the youngest of all 13, okay. um, but they've been stuck there because of COVID, um, and so. Now we just don't know really, right? Like what the whole movement thing's going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely going to happen this year. I'm eyeing October, hopefully at this point, maybe a little earlier. Um, but once we can, you know, once we get the green lights to actually be able to, to go there, we're going to go. Nice. Dude. Then for all the sailors who are listening right now, what kind of boat are you thinking about getting? 
Yeah, so the dream is a, a 20, 20 meter cat. So I want a big cat, you know, to actually kind of sail around the world. But we're going to start off with something a little bit smaller. So probably start off with like a 12 meter cat, something like that. So kind of, you know, in that kind of, um, you know, high 30s range, 38, 40 foot kind of catamaran. Um, just because there's, there's so much more berth space. If we're going to live on it, you know, you want more berth. So there's more place to live outside the boat. Um, and so I'll admit, though, I grew up on Catalinas. I grew up on you know, monohull boats. Um, so uh, I spent some time in the Philippines on a, on a cat, but uh, really looking forward to kind of getting into the catamaran sailing. That's cool. So you are familiar then with sailing and you're going to be comfortable with it. Oh, yeah. I grew up on a boat down here in Florida. Yeah. So my dad, we had a 27-foot Catalina and then a 35-foot Catalina. So yeah, I did that a lot. And then when I was living in Sydney, I, I sailed every weekend, basically. So yeah, I'm a sailor at heart. So Very cool, Damon. Man, you've really designed a cool life for yourself and definitely inspired me, man. If you could inspire one audience member right now, just give them some words of encouragement. If they hear your story, they're anxious to try it with family, You know, moving the whole family to New Zealand, Australia, wherever it may be, or even starting that first online venture. What could you tell them? Man, failure is not the enemy, right? I mean, inaction is the enemy. I mean, that that's the thing, right? I mean, like, you're going to fail. I fail all the time. You know, I, I fail new products. I fail new things. And so I think that, you know, we hear that a lot, fail fast, fail often. But that's all startup bullshit. Like, I'm just saying, like, you know, don't be afraid of I'm not going to do this because it might not work out. It probably won't work out the way you think it's going to. But it could work out better. It could work out different. But just it's – you're not going to regret the things you tried and failed. You're going to regret things you didn't do. And that's what I see the most often when I see – I stop coaching friends who tell me they want to do something and they never do it over and over again. Um, but like if you really want to do it, just do it. You know, Especially you know, if you don't have a family, you have no excuse not to do it. All right? if, you're, if it's just you, screw it, man. You've got $1,000 in the bank. Get on a plane as soon as you can um, and, and go somewhere. Just try it out. Like Figure it out. And it's, it's, it's that, that, that it, You can always go back home. You can always come back. You can always go somewhere else. And there's, there's – there's that option. And if you have a family, sure, the stakes are raised a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I still I think that you can make it happen. You know, either you make it happen or you make excuses. And 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 I don't say this as you know, it's it's glib coming from a 22 year old kid with no family. I've got a wife and two I got a wife and two kids that rely on me. I'm the only revenue generator in my family, right? And so uh, if I don't do my job, I don't do it well, then we don't have money. And so I'm not saying this is some you know I don't come from money. I come from nothing, right? And so like I, everything that that we make is from from our effort, from my effort. And so you know, but you can't be afraid of that. Like it's it's the same whether I'm here or somewhere else. Right. And so what I would say is that you want to move to Costa Rica, move to Costa Rica. Right? You want to move to Asia, move to Asia. Like do it. Like because worst case scenario, you know, you, you buy a return ticket six months later. Right. It doesn't work out. You fly home six months. Um, and I think that it's just that that the fear is what people are so that is that we, 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 we feed it. We feed that fear too much. We give it too much oxygen, too much energy. And uh, that, that's the thing you got to kind of get away from. It's just got to realize that failure doesn't matter. No one's judging you. Anyone's judging you. You don't want them in your life anyway, right? And so, like, it's and then no one really is. Everyone's so up there, and no one cares about no one. The the, the the hardest slash best life life lesson is when you realize that no one really cares what's happening with you, and no one really is paying that much attention. Like you're convinced because you're the you know you're the center of your world, right? But you're not the center of anyone else's world. Right? And so, but you think you are. Like you think that that, and because of that, we 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 hesitate on things. Doesn't matter. Just go out and do it. You're the man, Damien. Thank you so much for your time. We love and appreciate you, dude. Cheers, brother. Awesome, Damien. Thank you so much for joining me. What a pleasure. You are so cool for what you're doing with your family. I have no doubt it's going to be an awesome adventure. Your kids are going to thank you later in life for it. Living on a sailboat, sailing around the South Pacific. And again, why you get to do what you love online, helping people build sales teams 
helping founders specifically build sales teams to scale their business and be successful. That's awesome. You can really hear it come through in this conversation about how much you love your life, you love your wife, you love your family, and you get to do what you want to do because you've designed it in that way, taking full responsibility for what you do. Hats off to you, my friend. Remember, if you're a first-time listener, please hit subscribe. Damien and I would appreciate it if you shared it with somebody you think might benefit from hearing his story or somebody you think might just need his service. If they are a founder and they need to build an awesome sales team, you can hear it in his voice. Like this guy takes sales very seriously. He considers himself a professional salesperson. He takes sales so seriously that he's a pro and treats his day-to-day as such, continuously learning, reading, practicing to become a better salesperson. Thank you again so much for listening. I appreciate you. I think you all are so very beautiful. Remember to check in next week, 9 a.m. for the next week's episode. Another great inspirational conversation with another beautiful misfit and reject out there. And as you heard in episode 200, I am continuing to move misfits and rejects in new directions. My new direction is taking all the old content that I have, all the past conversations that I have, the over 200 episodes that I've created thus far, and repurpose them. And maybe bring a visual element to YouTube through an animation idea that I've been slowly cultivating, trying to make a pilot for on my own. And hopefully I'll get that to you and and you'll get to see what I'm thinking. Hopefully like it or even give me some positive feedback to push me in a new direction that you all want to see here and enjoy Misfits and Rejects in a new way. So thank you again so much. If you haven't yet gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt and you want to support Misfits and Rejects, head on over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and you can get one there. They're super comfortable. I can ship anywhere in the world. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you next week. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.